Okay, what's God been saying to me lately? Well, how do we hear God to start with? That's quite a complicated question in itself, isn't it? It raises other questions like, well, what does his voice sound like? Is it audible or is it just in my head? Does he communicate through circumstances and events? How do we learn to distinguish his voice from all the other influences and whisperings of the world? Well, I don't know how God speaks to you. I guess in a variety of ways. But I often have a sense of his presence in the stories and books that I read. Um, It's not an unusual way to hear God. After all, Jesus used stories all the time to speak to his disciples. And we rely on the Bible today as our chief source of inspiration and guidance. But I sensed God's presence through a less likely source recently, so I thought I'd share it with you. But first of all, we just need to get a few props together and uh, get ourselves a bit prepared. Now, if I fall off this stool and the gizmo falls off, that would be a sight, wouldn't it? Okay, right. Well, first of all, we need some rhythm for this story. Okay, so if you can just practice with me like this. Oh, that's going well. Good, good. All right, so far. Now we need some sound effects, okay? First of all, the sound of long grass waving in the wind. Swish, swash, swish, swash. Oh, very nice. Now the sound of splashing through a deep river. Splish, splosh, splish, splosh. You're liking this, aren't you? Glad you came today. Now we're going to wade through the mud. Now, for the more refined amongst you, you can say squelch, squelch. For the less refined, you might like to go... (laughs) Oh, clearly not very refined. (laughs) Now we're going to go through a dense forest. Stumble trip, stumble trip. And next, a snowstorm. This is my favourite. You'll have to do this better than me because I can't really do it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Okay, right, so now if you're all sitting comfortably, (laughs) we're going to begin. Anybody guess what the story is yet? We're going on a bear hunt. Okay, here we go. You know if you don't join in, I'm going to do something horrid to expose you, don't you? (laughs) Okay. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh, grass, long, wavy grass. We can't go over it, can't go under it. We've got to go through it. Swish, swash, swish, swash, swish, swash, swish. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh, a river. A deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go... Splish, splosh, splish, splosh, splish, splosh, splish, splosh. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh. Mud. Thick, oozy mud. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. We're going on a bear hunt. Catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. (laughs) Stick with it. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, a forest, a big dark forest. 
We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Stumble trip, stumble trip, stumble trip. Going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh, a snowstorm. A whirling, swirling snowstorm. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Very impressive. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh, a cave. A narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. What's that? One shiny wet nose, two big furry ears, two goggly eyes. It's a bear! Quick, back through the cave, back through the snowstorm, back through the forest, back through the mud, back through the grass, back through the river. Get to our front door, open the door, up the stairs, into the bed, under the covers. We're not going on a bear hunt ever again. I finish now. <laughs> I hope you don't mind a bit of fun as we start today. And by now, you're probably thinking that I've completely lost the plot and you might even be looking for the nearest exit. But this really is a story about a journey a journey that takes a family, um, that a family takes together. And when we think about what can God say to, this, to us through this story, well, let me just tell you a few things that God said to me through this story. First one, life is a journey. Second one, you don't get to choose the terrain. Third one, heroes are the ones who don't give up. Life is a journey. You don't get to choose the terrain. Heroes are the ones who don't give up. I'm going to read to you now from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 12. I'm reading out of the message version, so it might not follow quite as clearly as it does in your own Bible. Do you see what this means? All those pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out march against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces he also corrects. God is educating you that you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. The trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training, the normal experience of children. 
Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distant runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. This familiar but fantastic chapter follows a long list of people in Hebrews 11 who lived a life of faith in God, many of whom overcame incredible circumstances. However, a significant number of them were not freed from their difficulties within their own lifetime, but lived in an incredible faith-based relationship with their Heavenly Father, which will now last forever. And that's the heart of the Christian journey, a journey towards the Father that's in and through all circumstances. Whether we're freed from some or have to go through them all, it continues throughout our lifetime. If we really want to reach our final destination, we can never, ever, ever give up. We have to live our lives on a God hunt. If we go back to the bear hunt, there are some definite similarities to a God hunt takes a while to get there, but don't worry, you'll see them. To begin with, it starts on a sunny day with a family all together anticipating an exciting journey. It's quite like the early days of our relationship with God, isn't it? Our sins are forgiven, the past is behind us, we've found a whole new family of believers who promise to walk with us, and the enemy is firmly defeated. We're at the beginning of our journey, feeling brave and strong, with a clear sense of the Holy Spirit's presence to guide us. A walk through the field seems like a great idea. You have to watch your step, of course, but there's little really to fear in the long grass other than what you might step on or very possibly in. You don't need to look up, though, and fix your eyes on the goal. Always walking towards it. Otherwise, it's easy to become disorientated, as without landmarks, fields of long grass can all look the same. Especially to children who, being very small, can't see over the top of the grass. Paul gives us a word of advice in Ephesians 4 as we start out on our journey, which is also important to those of us who have maybe tried to go around the long grass rather than through it. We need to be equipped and built up in our faith so that we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to pick us, trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more like Christ. See, if we don't learn the fundamentals in our faith while we're in the long grass, we're not going to be able to draw on them at later stages of the journey. And if we stay playing in the long grass like children for too long, we run the risk of getting lost. If we're to remain on our God hunt, we have to keep moving, fixing our eyes on the goal, continually learning and remembering who freed us to walk in the sunshine in the first place. Life is a journey. You don't get to choose the terrain. And heroes are the ones who don't give up. The landscape changes and we reach our first obstacle. 
a deep, cold river. Rivers are often significant in the Bible. Nations had to cross them, individuals bathed in them for their healing, and new believers were baptized in them. They're a source of healing, life, restoration, and symbolic of new beginnings. But at first glance, they often appear to be little more than barriers to progression. This journey is beginning to feel a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Crossing a deep, cold river isn't most people's idea of fun, particularly if there's some uncertainty surrounding it. It provokes questions like, how deep it is? How deep is it? What's under the water? Don't know about you, but I hate that kind of squelchy stuff that sticks to the rocks. Yeah. These are the kind of questions that we ask if we're cross- crossing a river. Is the current too strong? What about the little ones? Is it safe for them? And it's when we start to face significant difficulty in our faith, we begin to ask God questions as well. Questions like this. How long will this cold, uncomfortable part of the journey last? Do I have to do it? Is there really no way around it or maybe a bridge which I can cross which means I don't have to get wet? The answer is very often, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. But... We have an amazing promise from God found in Isaiah 43 verse 2. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. You may have to experience the cold deep water, but we never go alone because God is with us. If you feel like you're in deep water right now, I want to stop in a minute and just pray for you and pray that you will know and find the peace and certainty of God's presence and you'll also know that you don't cross that river alone. The family in the bear hunt story didn't cross alone when they went together and it's no different with you. You're on a God hunt with your family, this family, and we're with you. So let's just stop and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you because you promised you would never leave us. You would never leave us to struggle on our own. And right now, Lord, as we just think about this together, I pray for those people in this congregation that feel as though they're right up to their necks, maybe, in deep, cold water. Lord God, I pray that they will have a sense of your presence, that they will know that you are with them every single step of the way. And Lord, also that they will know that we are with them too, that we're a family on this journey, And together, we're going to walk to you. Amen. Okay, the journey's getting a bit more challenging now, isn't it? We're through the long grass, we've crossed the river, now we're faced with... Mud? Yeah, great. This is an opportunity for getting seriously stuck. I don't know if you've ever found yourself stuck in mud. I have a son who's very fond of thick, oozy mud. And I can think of several occasions when we've both fallen out of our wellies and had to leave them behind, progressing through the squelch in just our socks. Lovely feeling. Very nice. You need to have some equipment, don't you, to get through the mud. At least the ability to balance, to stay upright, and also some good footwear to stop you from slipping. Leon talked about putting on the armour of God a couple of weeks ago from Ephesians 6. And verse 11 says this, Put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. I felt really challenged as I reflected on this and the things that cause me to slip up or get bogged down in my Christian experience. And I came up with two main issues, unforgiveness and disappointment. 
You know, often when we wrestle with these issues, we can find their beginnings in earlier stages of the journey. We've forgotten running through the fields of sunshine, the moment in time when God offered us forgiveness for all our sins, past, present, and future. And instead, we begin to focus almost exclusively on the areas where we let God down or have been injured by others. Sometimes we can become fixated on the shortcomings of other people. Their failure to progress on the journey as we think they ought. Or may even find ourselves staring into the grime of envious thoughts about those who appear to almost permanently be living in the sunshine while we have to wade through cold water. Sometimes we're simply disappointed by the terrain we find ourselves crossing. Or perhaps the level of support offered to us by those who are journeying alongside. Disappointment and unforgiveness suck us in. They slow the journey down and if we're not careful they stop us altogether. We have to hold on to the truth of God's love and the certainty of his plan for our lives to pull us out of the mud. And at times we have to ask for help. We have to allow others to haul us out even if it's undignified, even if it dents our pride. We can't afford to get stuck here. We're going on a God hunt. Life's a journey. You don't get to choose the terrain. Heroes are the ones who never, ever give up. Next we come to the big dark forest. But we're not scared. I I wondered about this bit really and I thought, well, perhaps we should be a bit more cautious when we enter into some environments. You know, the world today is complex and overwhelming. There are lots of demands on our time and influences on our thought processes. The impact of the media and modern communication leaves us at times unable to differentiate between one source of information and another. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm almost virtually computer illiterate. I don't know about tweeting, twittering, <laughs> MSNing, Facebooking or anything like that kind of thing. It freaks me out a little bit. But sometimes we get overwhelmed, don't we, by the level of information that comes our way. We begin to struggle to be able to see the wood for the trees, to remember the basic commandments of God, to love him with all our heart and all our souls, and to love one another as ourselves. The undergrowth of modern culture, the stuff we accumulate, the things we fill our time with, cover the ground beneath our feet, causing us to find it difficult not only to see the wood for the trees, but also to spot the submerged rocks, roots, and rabbit holes which are found in and every forest and threaten to trip us up. None of us are immune to the impact of our environment and the ways of the world. And sometimes we are so subtly drawn away from God's will, it's not until catastrophe strikes that we're suddenly aware that we are lost or seriously in danger of becoming so. You know, we live in an incredibly individualistic culture where we're encouraged to be the centre of our own world, to strive towards achieving and accumulating as much for ourselves as we can. We focus on the structure of our lives rather than the substance. We recently went to to the cinema to see a film. Um, It's not Leon's usual taste of film. It's not mine either, but we took our son. Alice in Wonderland. I don't know whether any of you have seen it. Anybody seen the new Alice in Wonderland film? Yeah, one or two. Some of you are admitting to it anyway. Uh, Basically, it's a very, very odd but amazingly creative interpretation of the two Alice books, which I guess most of us will remember from childhood. I think it's Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass. The story surrounds Alice's return to Wonderland, which she arrives at after falling down a large rabbit hole at the base of a tree. Although she's been there before, she has no memory of it, 
and is confused by various characters on her journey who keep asking her if she is indeed Alice. The Alice, who visited once before. She states clearly every time she is asked that she cannot possibly be that Alice as she's never been there before. And one by one, the other characters conclude that she's not really much like that Alice anyway. Until she meets the Mad Hatter, who is truly bonkers in this adaptation. He looks at her very, very closely, examining her with eyes that are different sizes and different colours, before saying, of course this is Alice. She has simply lost her much. What he meant is, somehow she is much less Alice than she was before. The journey goes on, and together they reach the finale where Alice finds her much and defeats the Jabberwocky. Right, this might sound like a right load of Jabberwocky to you right now, but if you just stick with me for a minute. How many of us have got lost in a deep, dark forest of disillusionment where we are either much less than we thought we should be or much less than we imagined we could be? Let me say that again. We find ourselves where we're either much less than we thought we should be or much less than we imagined we could be. We've lost something along the way. We've fallen down a rabbit hole, tripped over a branch. For Alice, her much turned out to be her self-belief and courage, which once recovered helped her to defeat the enemy. Maybe it's not so different for us. We need to remind ourselves about Jesus, the one who overcame death, fear, lies, sickness, and all the power of the enemy for our sake. Remember Hebrews 12 we read earlier. Perhaps this is the type of discipline the writer talks about. Not a good telling off, but a training process which involves keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We need to differentiate between the wood and the trees to, say the way, to see the way in which God, not the world, is shaping us. As we travel on our journey to be, become what he destined us to be, we have to be prepared to be whittled, carved into shape by the carpenter's hands and trust that he can work in us and through us to accomplish much more than we could ever ask, imagine or think. Life is a journey. You don't get to choose the terrain. Heroes are the ones who don't give up. Many of you know I love the cold weather and snowy landscapes. Snow-covered peaks in the bright sunlight are just beautiful, aren't they? But it's a different experience if you're caught in a blizzard. The wind whistles loudly, your senses are assailed, and, well, so I'm told, I've not been in one, but you can't see anything that's going on at all. The expression often used is a whiteout. You can't see anything or hear anything, you have no sense of direction, there are no landmarks, everything is just white. By now, you're probably thinking, stop. What kind of depressing journey is this that you're telling us about? We've been blown about, soaking wet, bobbed down, tripped up, and now we're going to be battered and disorientated by freezing cold Arctic winds. Seems to be getting progressively worse, doesn't it? Nothing like a stroll in the sunshine that we started out on. But how do we learn to trust God's presence if we don't allow ourselves to be tested? How do we build a faith strong enough for others to want to follow if we can't prove God's power at work in our lives despite the worst conditions? Remember Hebrews 12, verse 3 and 4? This is an all-out match against sin. 
Others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. Mike Iaconelli says in his book, Dangerous Wonder, our God is perfectly capable of both calming the storm and putting us in the middle of one. We don't often understand the reasoning, and I don't know about you, but most of the time I would much prefer to be rescued rather than have to battle on through the storm. But one thing I do know is that all the strongest muscles I have, physically and spiritually, are those that have been developed over time, hard work, and adversity. While there is breath in our bodies, we are not dead yet. We mustn't ever give up hope. Even if we can't see, hear a thing from God, even if we can't see anything that appears like the work of his hand, even if we feel totally alone, we have to keep moving. Stay on the God hunt until the storm subsides. The sky clears and we might find ourselves battered, but we'll be stronger and most importantly, closer to our destination, God. I love this part of the bear hunt book, when they get to the mouth of the cave, within which they'll finally come face to face with the bear. Evidently, they're still not scared, despite having to enter a narrow, gloomy cave, but I wonder whether perhaps there was something about the journey through the whiteout that equipped them to cope with the sensory deprivation associated with going into a dark cave. See, the earlier part of the journey equips you for the later part. Or maybe they're just so excited about the potential of actually finding the bear that it cancels out all their anxiety. They've come so far, it seems almost unimaginable that they would turn back now. They tiptoe in quietly, almost holding their breath until they come face to face with a bear! At which point... They turn and run as fast as their legs can carry them, back across all the difficult, challenging terrain it's taken them so much time to overcome, and they do it twice as quickly and without so much as a second thought. My question whenever I read this part of the story is, what on earth did they expect to find? <laughs> they were going on a bear hunt. Would getting cl up close and personal to a soft, inanim inanimate, predictable teddy bear really have inspired such an exciting journey? They got what they thought they wanted, but they ran. I wonder what kind of God we think we're looking for. Mike Iaconelli puts it brilliantly this way. I don't see much terror today amongst followers of Christ. In fact, when I say that, people look at me as if I'm crazy. Well, I want to know what happened to the bone-chilling, earth-shattering, gut-wrenching, knee-knocking, heart-stopping, life-altering fear that leaves us speechless, paralyzed, helpless, and glad. The terror I'm speaking of is a mix of wonder, awe, fear, and worship, all happening at the same time. I'm beginning to wonder if we modern followers of Christ are capable of being terrified of God. No fear of God, no fear of Jesus, no fear of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we've ended up with a feel-good gospel that attracts thousands but transforms no one. It's time for Christianity to become a place of terror again. A place where God continually has to tell us, fear not. A place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or doctrine or theology, but the constant awareness of God's terrifying presence in our lives. The nice, non-threatening God, 
needs to be replaced by the God whose very presence smashes our egos into dust, burns our sins into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. A healthy, childlike fear should make us more in awe of God than we are of our government, our doctrines, our agendas, or any of our other earthly concerns. If God is at work in our lives, we will become speechless and trembling and smiling too. It's time to become people whose God is big and holy and frightening and gentle and tender and ours. A God whose love frightens us into his strong and powerful arms, where he dares to hold us in his terrifying, loving presence. If we run away from the real God in search of a cuddly, palatable, easily understood shadow of a God, if we hide under the covers and declare like the family in the story, I'm not going on a God hunt again, we will never have the relationship we long for with our big, holy, terrifying, gentle God. And we will be much less than he planned for us. Life is a journey. You don't get to choose the terrain. Heroes are the ones who don't give up. We cannot, should not, must not forget that it's not an impossible journey. We can all be heroes of the faith. How do I know? Because of Hebrews 11 and 12. Because there is a great crowd of witnesses lining the streets, lighting the way, cheering us on, who have also been on a God hunt, who didn't get to choose the terrain, and who didn't quit. And God called them heroes. Heroes.